You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Ships. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've tuned in today to hear from more from God's Word, the Bible. Before launching into the subject matter of this program, I want to share with you how you can hear a program that you might have previously missed or maybe want to hear again. Today's program is about ships and perhaps you might like to hear that again and this is how you can do it. You'll need a computer connected to the internet. Type in Faith FM Radio Australia Listen. The screen that comes up will highlight the words Schedule and Podcasts. Click on Podcasts. The next screen will include a box Search by Name. Type in Give Me the Bible in that box. On the same screen, a picture of someone standing near a lake will show up. Click on that picture and then you'll get a list of all the Give Me the Bible programs that have been aired on Faith FM. Choose the program you want to hear. Click on it and you can have a static free broadcast of that program. It's really easy to do and you'll then have a library of audio programs that you can hear any time you want to hear them. And that's pretty good, eh? Well, today's program is about ships. Have you ever been on a ship? Ship cruises are very popular, although I've never been on a cruise. The biggest ship that I have travelled on was the Spirit of Tasmania's ferry, going between Melbourne and Devonport across Bass Strait. The biggest ship lying at anchor that I've ever been on was the aircraft carrier Enterprise in New York. It was massive. But the world's biggest ship is a crude oil tanker. During its lifetime it had four names. Seawise Giant, Happy Giant, Jara Viking and Knock Nevis. It was an ultra-large crude carrier and had a displacement of 6,050, sorry, 657,000 tonnes and a draft, that's how deep it goes down into the water, of 24 metres. And it was considered the largest self-propelled man-made object ever built. The world's largest cruise ship, Oasis of the Seas, is 360 metres long and 65 metres wide with a capacity for 6,300 passengers and 2,165 crew. By comparison, the ships like the Investigator and Endeavour used when the continent of Australia was being discovered by Europeans were midgets against some of the steel-hulled giants of today. There are two prominent stories of ships in the Bible. 
One concerned the prophet Jonah, and the other the apostle Paul. Of course, there is the ark that Noah and his sons built, but that boat did not actually sail. It was moved about by the wind and sea currents. By the way, I've had the privilege of visiting two of the world's three full-sized replicas of the ark. One is in Hong Kong and the other in Dordrecht in the Netherlands. And I've yet to see the one in Kentucky in the United States of America. Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet. And God commissioned him with the unpleasant task of delivering a message of repentance to the people who lived in the biggest city, Nineveh. Nineveh is now known as Mosul in northern Iraq. But Jonah was reluctant to go because those people were enemies of the Israelites. With the warning of overwhelming destruction unless the Ninevites repented of the evil ways uppermost in his mind, Jonah probably wished that God would destroy the lot. So he fled. Jonah intended to go as far away as possible. So he went to the coast and took a passage on a merchant ship sailing west, away from where God wanted him to be. Partway across the Mediterranean Sea, a violent storm blew up. For days on end, the sailors battled to keep the ship afloat. Eventually, they realised this storm was supernatural, and they looked for a cause. Jonah finally admitted he was the cause, because he was trying to get away from God. Then he said something strange, and it's found in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 12. He said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Later, Jonah was tossed into the sea, and immediately the storm subsided. God provided a great fish that swallowed Jonah and carried him back to the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea where it spewed him up. Jonah eventually made his way to Nineveh and proclaimed the message he was commissioned to deliver. The people did repent of their evil ways. Now, there are three things I want to bring to your attention from this story. Firstly, God knows all about us. I'd like to read some verses to you from Psalm chapter 139. Why don't you read this chapter for yourself? And it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Nothing is hidden from God. He knows all about us. Not only does he know where we are and what we do, but he knows our very thoughts. So is that comforting or confronting? Is God some immaculate spy checking up on everything we do so he can take note of every slip-up we make to condemn us? While it's true that God knows everything about us, even to the extent that he knows the numbers of hairs in our bodies, he's more interested in our responses to him. You see, and this brings us to the second point, God cares for us. He loves us. He is so disappointed when we make wrong choices. He is sorrowful when we cause physical, mental, or moral harm to ourselves and or others. He is upset as what has happened to the beautiful world he created for mankind's pleasure. God is out to get us, but not in the negative sense. He does everything possible that we should belong to him, because when we belong to him, we will be the happiest and most content. His way is the best way. In belonging to him, we have purpose, a sense of companionship, a realisation that we're not alone, and a realisation that God wants us to be with him forever. Because God cares for his people, he did not let Jonah drown. He provided a means of escape for him. And God has been involved in providing a means of escape for everyone. You see, because of the universal punishment for sin being death, and death means being cut off from God, in his love for us, God provided a way out. He took the punishment on himself. Jesus died for us that we might have that eternal life as initially intended for Adam and Eve and all mankind until our first parents messed things up. No, although God knows everything about us, he wants the very best for us and will provide for us. But, my friends, we need to give him a chance and not shut him out of our lives. God provided a way out for Jonah by preparing that great fish to carry him back. And here we come to the third point. The fish carried Jonah back. I've come across people who once served God but somehow lost the plot and ceased having anything to do with their former lives. But God does not abandon them. 
he continues to work that they may turn from their stubborn ways to become his people again. Personally, I'm so happy God did not abandon me when I have done wrong. I'm very glad he thought enough of me to keep on calling me back. Jonah's God is my God, and I hope you will make him your God too, because he is good, he is kind, he is patient and loving. Now we come to another ship on which the Apostle Paul was a passenger. At Jerusalem, Paul and some fellow Christians went to the temple as an act of purification. At the end of the seven days, some Asian Jews saw Paul there and began to accuse him of various things that were not true. Soon a riot developed, and the commander of the Roman garrison arrested Paul with the intention to lock him up in prison for his own safety. As they were going into the stronghold, Paul took the opportunity to speak to the crowd who listened for a while, then broke out yelling obscenities at and about Paul. The Roman commander questioned Paul but was warned by a centurion that Paul was a Roman citizen and must not be mistreated in any way. Paul was in prison for nearly two years and had his case heard by a number of important officials. But because he demanded to be heard by the highest authority in the Roman Empire, none other than the emperor himself, Caesar, Paul was to be transported to Rome by merchant ship that his case might be heard. Paul and several other prisoners were guarded by a Roman centurion named Julius. On the way, a terrific storm, a nor'easter blew up, and normal sailing became impossible. So the captain let the ship be driven by the wind and waves. You can read this story for yourself in Acts chapter 27. We're going to have a little break now, and we'll go on straight afterwards. Yeah. 
Before the ship sailed, God gave Paul a message of warning that the trip would end in disaster for the ship, but that all lives would be saved. However, the captain ignored this warning and decided to continue the journey. Well, out at sea, there were 14 days where the storm rose up and continued until the ship broke up near a beach in Malta. Of the 276 people on board, not one life was lost. All the ship's crew, the soldiers and prisoners, made it to shore unharmed. And I'll read to you from the Bible what happened next. This is from Acts 28, verses 1 to 6. Once safely on shore, we found that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, that's a snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, Oh, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people except expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Despite the disaster, God used the Apostle Paul to preach the gospel and to heal many sick people on the island. The people were highly appreciative of what was done for them and gave supplies to feed and clothe the unfortunate seafarers while they were there. Now, what can we learn from this story? 
I think there are four main things. The first is about warnings. The second is about what God allows to happen. The third is about God's protection. And the fourth is about how God uses unfortunate events as opportunities to bring about good outcomes. On a previous program, I spoke to you about warnings. Warnings are there for our good. On the roads, there are warnings about bends, hazards, wildlife that could cause accidents, and so on. God, too, has provided warnings about how we are to live, about what to watch out for that could ruin our lives, about the times in which we live, and much, much more. Jesus warned about false news. In Matthew 24, verses 26 to 28, in referring to his second coming, he gave this warning. So, if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out, or he is in one of the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning that comes from the east is visible even unto the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he warned about false Christs and false prophets, some of whom even perform marvellous miracles. They appear genuine, but are not. He warned about false teachers who deceive many. They teach theories and doctrines that are not sound, but may appear to be plausible. Please don't misunderstand what Jesus said by thinking that was about what only happened long ago. No, he was referring to our day and age also. There are more false ideas and theories being promoted today than ever before. There is the theory of evolution. There is tradition in churches taking the place of Bible truth that have been widely accepted. When God gives a warning, we should take notice and act upon it. Probably the most timely warning pertinent to our times is to be found in the first part of chapter 14 of the book of Revelation, where three latter-day messages are given to mankind. The first is about who we should worship. It is to be God, our Creator. The second is that Babylon, meaning the false system which forces people's allegiance, is doomed. And then there is a warning that any individual who accepts or compromises with this entity, that's Babylon, that forces worship, will be destroyed. Worship must be to the one, God, who is worthy of worship. It must be voluntary and not forced. The Babylon referred to in the warning is the same religious organisation that demanded worship and allegiance as was in the times of the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages of this world's history. If you want to know more about all this, there's a terrific book that you can have free of charge by calling our producer Nick or by calling the station. The book is called The Great Controversy. The storm from which Paul survived was a bad one. 
People might legitimately ask, couldn't God have stopped the storm? Of course he could have. But God sometimes allows things to happen, even if we might think those things are bad. Who knows that the day your car would not start, that you would have been at a particular place at a particular time and might have been involved in a terrible accident. You need to remember that God allows good things to happen too. At one time in my life I was involved in mining for precious gemstone. The potential was there for me to become an overnight millionaire, but that did not occur. As I look back, it was probably a good thing that the venture was not successful. I might have become proud. I might have lost my relationship with the Lord who loves me so much. I might have, well, who knows what. As God protected Paul from dying of snakebite, there is an assurance to those who commit themselves to the Lord of his protection. It's in Psalms chapter 91. Why don't you read it for yourself? I'm going to select a small portion to give you a sample, and it's from verses 9 and 10, Psalms 91. It says, If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent or your home. And that is what a committed Christian may expect. God cares for his children, just as a father cares for his children. And that brings us to the last point. The Lord can bring good out of bad. In the case of Paul, although the snake bit him and the people concluded that Paul was a criminal, because Paul survived, he was able to bring the message of salvation and healing to those people on Malta. What at first appeared to be a disaster ended up being a blessing. There is this saying, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Friends, although you may not have been on a ship that was wrecked, I'm aware that there are many people who are living shipwrecked lives. There are broken relationships, broken dreams, disappointments, addictions, and a host of other things. But, as with Paul and Jonah, God wants you to learn of him, to know that he is a beautiful God, and he wants to provide the very best for you. No, that may not be what you think is best, but we have to trust him. We have to commit our lives to him, and whatever happens, we have to realise that if we are faithful to him, he is always faithful to us. We must stop. Give what I've shared with you today about ships some thought, and make a decision to commit your life to God, and let him work things out for you. So, until next time, then I wish you much joy and peace and hope.